Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because, yep, we're We're going going there. there. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. How is everybody today? (laughs) Silence. (laughs) You hear two laughs because we have a fun interview today with us. We are tired, but we are here. We are here and we're excited to chat. Okay, anyways, hi gals, <laughs> hi. Samantha and our friend Kate Murray. Kate, Drum roll, please. thanks for joining us hi. today. Thanks for having hi. me. Hi. Are we addressing that we're recording this a second time or is that not a thing we're addressing? Well, I guess you're going there because oh. you just did. <laughs> well, we could cut that. No, we're recording this a second time, guys, because... Let's like, just be real and raw. People like real and raw. You don't it's what have we're to throw yourself. I, I was just going to say we <laughs> had a mishap and we have to re-record this interview. We had a mishap, a.k.a. Christian <laughs> lost the audio on an SD card. And here we are recording numero dos. Here we are. So thankfully it was like far long enough ago that I don't really remember a lot of our conversation. Is that bad? We're also friends and we've had this conversation a lot. So it doesn't feel that painful. We could hang yeah. out. Again, I, for sure. I'm the kind of person who could say, I don't know. Do you feel like you could go over the same three events of your life every day? Be forever? backwards and forwards and well, upside also down. Probably yeah. This topic it, for so. you is like your life. It's not hard for me to talk about myself. <laughs> I could do that all day. I'm happy to get on here and trauma dump again. Yeah. Yeah. So we no. are having our friend Kate on to talk about her journey and her family's journey with foster care and adoption. And last time, oh, I forgot we like started the whole thing last time. You can tell about yourself and we'll jump in, but you guys moved here how many years ago now? Four? <laughs> Is it only? No. No. No, it's been longer than that. It's okay, had... August will be five years. We wow. moved here a week after we got married. Wow. So was our... Emerson a baby when I met you? Graham was yes. a baby. Okay. I came to her first birthday party. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's so crazy. So little, that's huh? so crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well... Okay. Yeah. Jump right in there. Kate, welcome. We're excited you're here <laughs> for the second time, but for everyone else the first but tell us about you, yourself, your family. What are you guys doing here in Columbia? Tell us all the things so people get to know you better. So I met my husband, Bryce, when we were in grad school at Mississippi State. Go dogs! And I'm pretty sure I made that joke last time. Go dogs! That's the thing that like no one knows. Like they, no one has to know. Okay. Nobody will know. Nobody okay. will know that we should post that. So okay. Right. So. We met when we were in grad school and Bryce knew he wanted to continue his education. And so he made plans to come up here to Mizzou. Insert quick comment. Bryce is like very smart. Has a PhD in what? I don't even know. I'm going to string some words together. Computer and electrical engineering or maybe it's artificial intelligence. What? Yeah, it's literally insane. Like he's genius. Got a big old brain. Big brain Bryce. We love that guy. (laughs) Anyway, so he wanted to come up here and do his PhD at Mizzou. So we got married and moved up here a week later. And that's what we're doing here. He graduated and we just fell in love with Columbia and we stayed. I have a question about that going back. When you guys were doing that, I mean, I just put myself back to newlywed bliss life. Were you just so, were you like, this is the best adventure ever. We're going to move to this fun college town we've never been to for like a few years. And then we're going to come back home. Were you just like all for it? I could see you being like that. And I think I would be. Too. Yeah, I was pretty ready to get out. of. Now, listen, 
If there are any Mississippi girlies <laughs> listening in, don't get your feelings hurt because I bet you've had this feeling before too. <laughs> I wanted to get out of Mississippi so bad I could not stand it. And so I was like, I will ride Bryce's coattails anywhere, <laughs> even if it's the mid-freaking West. So was I jazzed about it being Missouri? No. California has a nice ring to it. or For sure. Yeah, take me to a real city. Yeah. <laughs> the Midwest, Missouri. So I was excited to just go to a new place with my man, but... It wasn't really <laughs> Missouri that was like <laughs> making my heart beat fast. So it was exciting. We ended up loving it. So we stayed. And tell us about your kids and your job, what you do day to day. I work at the Crossing Church and I help run our disability and inclusion ministry called Agape Grow. And I just help plan events and stuff. It's like the best job ever. So I have two kids. I'm pregnant with my third, heavily pregnant and super <laughs> over it. We said that, you did say that on the last episode. Now we're two weeks later into the pregnancy. That's right. Still, like, yeah. still here. Yeah. yeah. Look, while I was in Mississippi, I got a prenatal massage and oh. she was like, got down near my feet and she's like, I'm going to be super careful when I rub your feet because there's a lot of pressure points and yeah. I don't want to like induce labor. That's a thing. I was and you like, were like, no, no, no. And I was like, Please so just like out them. of curiosity, where are those? Pre- just so I don't <laughs> push too hard on them later. I'm super over it. But I have a little girl named Anna who we adopted in September. And then I've got a little girl named Margaret who is almost two. Anna's almost four. And then this baby is due in, well, I'm getting induced. What is today? How soon? Today's the first. The 27th. Oh, so you have a few weeks. And it's another little girl. (laughs) And it's another little girl and we don't have a name. Oh, but that's okay. You have 26 days to figure it out. <laughs> 26 days. There you I'm go. I'm just going to let Holy Spirit lead me. There and... you go. Oh, we should run a little thing. Could you let our <laughs> listeners, like, it could be a little contest. Like, <laughs> sure. someone, like if yeah. you like what and follow. They, what do they win you if have they to, pick the name? No, like, you just, like, like, like follow, change. subscribe, and then it's like you get to name some random <laughs> yeah, girl's follow, child. Follow, subscribe, and you get... Maybe send out another yes. survey. Yeah. Who needs yeah. a Starbucks gift card? <laughs> yeah, I want to name right. a baby yeah. of a stranger that I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, that's so good. We've, we've got it narrowed down. But Jumping into your story, you and Bryce, I was just thinking back to, like, you just shared you were excited to just come to Columbia, try it out. We were talking last time. We won't go into all of the, but you guys shocked both Christian and I with the way that you moved to Columbia and immediately jumped into really intense community. I mean, I had met you in this like random way and it was so fun and we became friends. And then I didn't even know you like knew what our church was. And I remember I walked in and you were on the welcome team and I was like, you're on the welcome team? Like, I didn't even know you, like, didn't you just move here? Like, you were here two weeks ago. So kind of like that spirit, you are people that just jump in. I don't think you let a lot of fear or hesitations about life hold you back. Not to say that you're not wise and thoughtful about decisions, but talk with us about your interest in foster care, how that got started and your story with it. And just mentioning too, like you guys were very young in your marriage, had no biological kids yet, hadn't tried for biological kids yet. Tell us about that. The topic of foster care came up when Bryce and I were just barely dating. Bryce and I met a month after I became a Christian. So I was super new to the faith and I was learning all this really wonderful things about God's character and his heart. And one of the first sermons I ever heard as a Christian was about, we had Orphan Sunday, which I've come to hear as a Southern Baptist 
ish thing. Oh, yeah, we discussed this. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to keep saying we discussed this last time. <laughs> True. But no, other people have told me that though. I'm like, oh, Orphan yeah. Sunday changed my life. And they're like, Huh? And like also when you say <laughs> when you put it into context, yes, we I mean our church it's recently a did cause. a thing about caring for orphans and widows. It's literally called Orphan Sunday. It's not a great it doesn't it, it maybe doesn't. needs to be rebranded. <laughs> it is a serious rebranding. rebranding. No, because I people are like, what changed? Huh? Okay, so Orphan Sunday at the church that I went to was basically where they talked about God's heart for vulnerable children, vulnerable women. And they highlight different organizations. Well, I don't know. Is it like this everywhere? The one I went to is like yeah. they also, they just highlight ministries, local ministries. They talk about missionaries worldwide who are supporting that cause. And it's just kind of a way to say, hey, this is something that as a Christian, we believe. And here are different ways that you can support this. Anyway, I went to Orphan Sunday and something really struck me. Well, let me back up a little bit. The church that I was raised at. I don't feel like I learned a lot about a God who was soft and nurturing and a protector. I feel like I learned about a really scary God. In fact, you know what the way I word it sometimes is the God I learned about growing up, he was like a cat. But the God oh. I learned about when I was in college was like a dog. Oh, like <laughs> the cat lovers will not the, like right, that analogy. Get over yeah. it. You They'll know be that like, your cat's a jerk. Well, once you get to know him, and like, <laughs> that's right. No, yeah. no, he's sweet. I promise. <laughs> he just <laughs> exactly. He knocks your glass of water off the table. No, I just learned about a God who just didn't seem super forgiving. Yeah, all the cat owners are like, yeah, I'm holding grudges. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. pressing pause and exiting the app. So it was just a God who wasn't super interested in getting to know me or distant <laughs> and all that. But then this God I was learning about, especially on Orphan Sunday, was a God who he's a seeker. And you know the feeling when you walk in the yeah. door and your dog's like, oh, my gosh, you're here. You're home. Oh, my goodness. I have I've waited you all so, day for you. I have been waiting. Mm -hmm. I love you so much. And it's fine that you left for a while. That's I like that great analogy. Actually, yeah. I'm like really wise. I, yeah. I would not believe how wise I'm over here with all the animal sounds. <laughs> yeah. Okay, keep going. So it just really struck me and it was so opposite from what I feel like I learned growing up that there was this God who not only cares about me, but he cares about vulnerable children in all corners of the world. The ones in my community, the ones in the savannas of Africa, the ones in China, the most vulnerable people on earth. He doesn't just care. He mandates us to care <laughs> and to help watch out for them and protect them. Anyway, so I was so struck by that. And I feel like that Sunday changed my life because it changed my outlook on God. I fell in love with him that Sunday and the rest is history. Here I sit on the Going There podcast. So I met Bryce not long after that. And Bryce was a real winner. Bryce really had his mess together. And he had been a Christian for a long time, and he was just like a really typical Southern Baptist boy. And so when we met, I realized he was a homeowner. <laughs> so sexual. <laughs> you just like a man who's got a mortgage. I don't know. There's just something about it. Couldn't Bryce, really. Bryce Murray was like going to take care of me. You guys were young at this age, so that was like shocking. Yeah. And you're like, okay, <laughs> cool. I was living like in a crappy apartment with like roaches and stuff, and Bryce has a four-bedroom house on an acre of land, and... Which I guess in that Mississippi is like you. not hard to come by because there's so much land. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it sold me for sure. But 
I remember having a conversation where I asked why would you buy this house? Because when I say we were young, I guess was I 25 when I started grad school and met him and he would have been maybe 26, maybe about to turn 27. So I asked Bryce why he had this four bedroom house and he said his plan initially was to do his PhD in Starkville and he said he just assumed he would meet a girl there and get married and he thought that he would do some foster care. <laughs> he would just do some a little bit of foster care <laughs> while he finished up his PhD with his little Mississippi wife. And I was like, huh? Sorry. Like, won't God do it? <laughs> won't he do it? I wish you guys no. could watch Kate. Like, we really need visual on this. We should. I was super freaking sold on Bryce Murray. So that was pretty early on that he told me that in dating, but we didn't bring it up again until we were seriously dating. And we both knew it was what the other wanted to do at some point once we got serious and started talking about marriage. So when we moved up to Missouri after we got married, people were asking really frequently when we were going to start having kids. And I really wanted a baby. But we felt there was wisdom in waiting a year. And looking back, for sure. <laughs> so we said we would wait a year until we started trying for biological children. And then when we got close to our one-year anniversary, I just felt really strongly that God was asking me to put that really strong desire to have a baby aside and maybe look at foster care. And so I kind of floated it with Bryce, thinking that he would say no because of the two of us. If there was one person in the relationship who was going to say something completely out of pocket, it's me. And if there's some one person who's going to be really wise and be like, no, for lots of reasons, no, <laughs> it's Bryce. But he said, yeah, and he didn't even seem to hesitate. Because so, you knew you both wanted to do foster yeah. care, but you thought like, oh, maybe we'll have some biological children first yes. and then do foster care. But you're coming to him like, hey, we've been married a year. <laughs> we were going to start trying for a baby. And now I'm saying I want to do foster care. And he was all for it. And he was all for it. And I think both of us, when we pictured foster care becoming part of our ministry as a family, I think we pictured having like kids in elementary school and I think we both pictured us doing it once we were settled and we knew something about parenting and we knew each other a little better. We had older kids who could maybe help out <laughs> or I don't not help out. but you know. Yeah. Be more self-sufficient. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. But he said he was on board. And so when our one year mark hit, we filled out an application with Children's Division and we got our first placement the following June. Now, when Bryce and I sat down to talk about, because as part of training, you need to have a conversation with your partner about what your parameters are going to be for placements. I get this question all the time, and it's a good one. There are different types of foster care. One type is called emergency, which I think when some people think of foster care, maybe that's what they're picturing. Sometimes it's the night a child comes into foster care, and it's the middle of the night or middle of the day or whatever, like somebody hotlined from school and Typically, in the state of Missouri, at least, I think emergency placement is supposed to be less than like 30 days. And it's while they figure out that maybe they look for family members or just like a longer term solution. Then you've got like traditional foster care, which it's months, it's years, whatever. There's respite. So respite providers are licensed. But for example, we have a placement right now. And when we went down to Mississippi to visit family, 
we put the child in respite care and it's just a licensed family who watches them for the time that you're gone and they're trying to give informed. you a break to give you respite yes. and yeah. when yes. you're going on long yes. trips like that they're not going to go on. Or, yes, yep. exactly. Wait, I do have a question as we're yeah. saying that though. Your foster child, and this might vary state to state, but like say you're going on a family trip to Florida, you're allowed to take your foster child yes. across state lines, correct? Yeah, it would, I think, depend with our first two placements who were really long-term and they didn't have contact with bio parents. So there wasn't like visits that we were supposed to be making or anything like that. The team decides, but yes, it was fine. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that because sometimes I think people might, yes. then that could like deter them from wanting to do foster yes. care. No, or, it's a great question. And it's good to know there are people trained to give you breaks like yes, that. Yes, yeah. exactly. But yes, with our placement right now, she gets weekly visits with her mom and we didn't want to disrupt that. And so we found a respite provider. But yes, they're people who are like trauma informed and their house is appropriate and safe. And so respite providers, super critical. And there's another type of foster care for older children who are 18 and who are about to transition out of state care. And these foster parents, they're helping them get on their feet and maybe they help them transition to independent care in the state would help that 18 year old get an apartment and find a job and learn to stand on their two That's feet. That's cool. I've never yeah, heard about that. I didn't that. know that either because you hear a lot of stories of like, yeah, and then they just age out and they're on their own. And like, maybe there's some validity to that. And maybe this was created to help with that or be a bridge between the two. Yes. It's called APLA, A-P-P-L-A, another planned permanent living arrangement. Cool. So lots of different options yes. for you to get involved in foster yes. care. One of the conversations that you have with your partner before or as a single person, because also if you don't know this and a lot of people don't like you do not need to be married to do foster care. You do not need to be a homeowner. You just need to be like a stable, safe, appropriate person or two. You can be any age, I think over the age of 21. So either you by yourself or you with your partner would decide which type of foster care maybe would be more your speed. And that's not really something you have to decide before you jump get into your, training. Get your license. Yeah. Yes. That's maybe one of the parameters that you need to think about. Another parameter would be what age do we feel like we could do? So Bryce and I said we could do birth to five. And maybe another one would be what types of trauma and what type of wounds is the child coming with? Because if you have other children in your house, maybe you wouldn't be as open to certain types of wounds or histories. So good for people to hear again because- people don't know. And that might be holding you back from saying like, well, there's just could be certain things. So that's good to hear. You always get a say in like what you're comfortable with, because also taking a placement that you're not comfortable with or taking one that's not a sustainable one for your family, that's the quickest way you could possibly burn out and never take another yeah, placement. And it's not going to be yeah. helpful for your family yeah, exactly. or yeah. the child coming into your care. So when Bryce and I started, and also maybe another thing you would think about is how many kids can we take at one time? Are we willing to do sibling sets? Another type of foster care that I didn't really talk about, and maybe I think some people have a wrong idea about it, or maybe there's misconceptions, maybe that's a better way to say it, is some people hear about something called foster to adopt. So just really quickly, there definitely are people who want to grow their family out through foster care, but the purpose of foster care is always, 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 always reunification. And as a foster parent, you really have to be on board with rooting for bio parents as much as you can. And only when it comes down to it, yes, you might be asked, would you be willing to be a pre-adoptive placement for this child? But I don't know of many people who go into it saying like, I want to specifically foster to adopt because also (laughs) foster care is extremely 
what's the best word for it, y'all? Hard? <laughs> it's Long? So, I don't know if messy? anyone's told y'all this. Uh, it's kind of hard. There's so many unknowns. Gotta that be I, super agile. Yeah. You have to hold things well. super loosely. I really do know people who, like, in one monthly meeting, the team said, yes, we're probably going to terminate parental rights. Would you be willing to be pre-adoptive? And, like, they're having that conversation. And then the next month, now we're talking about reunification again. Saying that you want to foster adopt is a really easy way to just get your heart well, broken. <laughs> this is a good yeah. place for me to share. Like, people have in the past asked us, why did you adopt? Like, we did. There's also people get confused about different kinds of adoptions. I'll say that we've adopted and people are like, oh, what age were they when you got them? And I'm like, well, we did infant domestic adoptions. We were there for both of our children's birth. That's pretty common with infant domestic. Whereas obviously international means out of the country and then through foster care, again, obviously does happen. You guys adopted Anna through that. But people would sometimes snarkily be like, well, why didn't you just foster? And I had to say, like, well, first of all, we've been praying about, like, fostering one day. But at the time that we were ready to grow our family, we learned that, yeah, you should not go into foster care with this idea that, like, I want to adopt and grow my family. Because I remember going to a meeting, an info meeting about foster care, and they were sharing, that's going to immediately put you in the wrong headspace of then what the goal, like you said, it should be reunification. And I knew we had gone through losses and we're, like, trying to grow our family. And I'm like, if I were to foster right now, every child that comes in our home, I am going to attach to. I'm going to be like praying that the opposite of what the point of foster care yeah. would be happening because I was in a place where I was just desperate to like yeah. start being a yeah. mom. And so I think that's good to hear because a lot of people say that. I'll just adopt through foster care. And it's like, okay, well, I don't think you understand them, what the goal of foster yeah. care is. Well, and I think is. it's important to note, we talked about this too. Our church has a great partnership with an organization here locally called Coyote Hill. But even as we have this conversation, I love how you or others in this conversation will talk about the vulnerable children. In the Bible, we see a lot of examples of Jesus caring for vulnerable people. If that's a widow or if that's someone who's an outcast, if that is an orphan, but Children in foster care are not orphans. They Correct. have parents Correct. and the goal is always to reunify them with their parents. And so I think that's a common misconception. So when we're talking about fostering, it's we care for these people because Jesus cares for vulnerable people. We are all vulnerable people, but these children are specifically in that. And so yeah. we are called to care for them. Oh, and I think I've seen this on social media. Maybe you're someone who's thought this. So this is just, again, clearing things up. I'll see, you know, an influencer talk about infertility and I'll see comments that are like, why don't you adopt? Do you know how many kids are in the U.S. foster system? You don't know what foster care is. And you're sitting here saying it's years long of process and meetings with their parents. People just say that as like a, are you dumb? Like, just go just pick up a child <laughs> yeah. from the foster care system. It's like, yeah. that's not what foster care is. Right, but. exactly. I think the best headspace to go into with foster care would be right now your home is not safe i have a safe place you can stay i am a safe person so you'll live here with me until it's safe to hopefully go home while you attach and love them and care for them right. it's your own flesh and blood but well, yeah, we'll like, jump to this obviously yeah. in your story a little bit but i think the beauty and the awesomeness of watching i mean you guys are our closest friends who have been in this journey of fostering and so we've been able to see it really intimately with you all but i think the most beautiful thing about it is as christians and as people who believe 
in God's sovereignty and in God's control. I mean, we can all say we all have children of our own as well. And so we also understand, yes, they're ours, but our job here is to care for them until we get to our home eternally in heaven. And so I think there's like a cool idea of that with fostering too. You and Bryce, every placement you have received, jump right in and say, we're your home. This is a place we want you to feel safe. We want you to feel valued. We want you to feel loved. No different than like the children who are also in our home to stay permanently. And that's just like what you get to do. This is an extension of what you do just even with your own kids. And so it's a cool picture of just like even how we can see our own children. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Thanks for saying that. So I mentioned that last bit about fostering to adopt because... When Bryce and I were talking about our parameters, what we felt like we had the capacity for, we did not want to grow our family through adoption. That was not our goal. We said we would only take one kid at a time. We did say birth to five. And we also said that we only wanted to do emergency placements. But then going through training, we started to change our minds a little bit about and realize like maybe we would be a little bit flexible. Also, another thing that I want to say. I spoke a little bit about needing to have a conversation about every member of your household. You need to look at every single person in your family and say, like, it's not just like, what can I handle? What can my two-year-old daughter handle? What can my four-year-old daughter handle? And I've got pets I've got to think about. And you need to think about everybody in your family when, when you think about this is a placement that I can say yes to. A lot of people thought, That's cool that you are doing that before you've had kids, but also what the heck, that's insane. But I'm so glad that we did it that way. Bryce and I were able to say, we really didn't have to have conversations about, we said we would be open to any type of wounds that a kid would be coming in with. The only people that we really need to protect in our home is us and our dog. We could be pretty flexible, but we said yes to. Yeah, that's cool. There's also another kind of foster care. It's called medical. (laughs) And I'm bringing this up because There are people who you can get specially trained to do medical foster care, maybe kids who are coming in because of medical neglect or just a typical, this child needs to be in foster care until home is safe and they've got high medical needs. That child would be in medical foster care. But then there's also, they've got different levels for like behaviorally and you need to take different trainings to say, I can accept a child, a level A, a level B. So you and Bryce were in a position where you thought we can take on more because it's just you and I. We can take on some of those things that if our family dynamic looked a little different or if other people's family looked a little different, they probably wouldn't be able to accept that stuff. So we want to accept that. Which I actually think we have had, I just want to put a plug in here because we have had tons of conversations about, we've had people on here to talk about singleness. We've talked about just life. If you don't have any children, the opportunities that you have. And I just think it's like really awesome because I'm like, you guys jumped right into an opportunity. It doesn't change how hard it is. It doesn't change how hijacking it is to your lifestyle. It doesn't change how much time and energy and many resources that go into this that you guys said, no, we have the opportunity right now and we don't have a lot of other commitments. So let's jump head in and deep which is awesome. I'm so glad we did it that way. So you get your first placement in June. So take us back to that. Yes. So our parameters were, we'll only do birth to five. We could say yes to a lot of different wounds that a kid's coming in with, but maybe we weren't super equipped to handle more physical needs like aggression. And we would only do one kid at a time. And we wanted to do emergency placement. Our first placement in June was a long-term placement. He stayed for two years. And we ended up taking him and his sister, and he had higher needs emotionally. And it's just funny how we said, 
We'll say yes, but only in this way. <laughs> and, and we then got you exactly get the exact opposite. <laughs> opposite. But yeah, so we got this little boy and I'm not going to use his name. So I'll just call him Kay. Kay was the first child that Bryce and I had ever parented, period. And also we're still super new <laughs> in our marriage. You don't know anything when you've been married for a year. Not only are we learning about each other and we're learning how to parent, we're learning how to parent a child who has higher needs. And when we said yes to him, we didn't just say yes to taking care of him every day. We also said yes to sibling visits and committing to that and the monthly meetings. And that was a lot for your first time being a parent, as temporary as it was. But early on in his case, it was clear that his case would turn to adoption. And sometimes it does happen that way. He had been in, in care for a while. He was two when we got him. When I say a while, for a two-year-old, you would consider it a while. And well, he was almost three. But either way, so pretty early on, the case manager started having conversations with us like, we are going to be looking for a pre-adoptive home. Let's just be frank. That's probably where this is headed. And so in all three of the cases that we've had, our case manager has done that. So maybe everything we said earlier about no. don't go into the <laughs> adoption. That's probably really not very common. So early on, she started asking if we would want to be pre-adoptive. And Bryce and I were so taken with this little boy. <laughs> he had the cutest gap between his front two teeth. <laughs> and he was so wild and just beautiful and really spunky and really clever and smart. And he was just so easy to fall in love with. It didn't take a lot of convincing for Bryce and I to say, if it came to it, yes, we would. And like I said, Kay was two when he moved in with us. And his age, I think, is important to note. A two-year-old having some pretty high behavioral needs, you can really justify a lot of things by being like, well, he's two, so whatever, he'll grow out of that. So I think that we didn't really realize how high his needs truly were. So we got a call a couple months later saying that he had a half-sister in another county and would we be interested? And her parents had not been in the picture at all. And so they said, and they will do this sometimes where they'll say like, this will be a long-term placement because parents are not involved. Because in foster care, and it, it probably differs by state, but I'm pretty sure in Missouri that it's 15 months. Like if you go 15 months without like meaningful contact from a parent or then like really making steps, then you've got pretty good grounds to file for termination of rights. I hope that timeline's right. So she was kind of nearing that. Sometimes they will say, like, we want a long-term placement, and because it will probably turn into adoption, we're not going to move her into a home unless you would be open to that. And so Bryce and I, we loved Kay so much that we automatically loved Anna just because she shared DNA with him. <laughs> so we said yes to that. And then I already knew I was pregnant with Margaret. We had just found out. So we said yes to Anna thinking like, okay, we're going to go from zero to three in a calendar year and that will be bananas, but we'll survive it probably. And we did. Literally the best. <laughs> Literal <laughs> chaos. 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 So as my pregnancy progressed, Anna moved in with us and with Kay, we started to see that maybe some of the things that we noticed earlier when he was a little bit younger... He wasn't growing out of things that maybe looked like a typical two-year-old. It wasn't typical anymore because now he's three and a half. Our household was becoming unsafe physically. So because I was pregnant, Bryce was concerned about me being the one to hold Kay when he was having 
a hard moment or just being home alone with him. And so Bryce took over a lot of caring for Kay and his needs were just so high. And Bryce just got really burnt out. As a quick reminder in the story, we said yes to Anna, knowing that we would adopt her if it came to it. And with Kay, we had said, we will adopt him if it comes to it. So like our mindset in raising him and doing the day-to-day is we really might grow our family this way. And we had kind of like attached that. And I definitely, definitely, definitely had. But because Bryce was putting in so much work physically and he was just really burnt out. And so there was one day he sat down and said, like, I just don't think I can do forever with Kay. And we knew that the kids, and this is what we wanted for them. We wanted them to be a package deal. Like, We wanted them to know each other, which is why we said yes to moving Anna in. And so if Kay moved, we knew Anna was going to move. So in my mind, when he said, I can't do forever with Kay, he's also telling me he can't do forever with Anna. And in like one day, I went from really thinking and preparing myself, like, I'm going to be Kay's mom. I'm going to get to be his mom forever. I'm going to be at his graduation. I'm going to be at his basketball games. I'm going to sob at his wedding and hold his babies. And the same for Anna. And then in one day it was just taken (laughs) from me. And I'm bringing this story up because in foster care, just like in almost every single important thing in your marriage, you have got to be on the same page. And if one of you is not 100% all in, you just have to say no as a couple. And so when Bryce is telling me, I just can't do this, obviously the health of my marriage comes first. And I had to say, okay. And like, I remember the day that we called the case manager and she was as shocked as I was because I don't know, at that point in the case when it had been so long, it's like on FSTs, we're openly talking about it being a pre-adoptive placement and stuff to just say, you can actually take the part out. I'm rambling. Pressing into that a little bit, just to be vulnerable as much as you're willing to share, you got to the place where you were supporting Bryce, but it wasn't like he set you down that day and said that. And you were like, okay, honey. It was really bad. It like wrecked your life. I mean, your community, everyone was praying and just knowing that this was really weighty because not only you're like, oh, we were pre-adopted, like to all of your friends and family and people, like they were going to be your kids like pretty soon in the process. And so you hearing that, I mean, you guys had to really press in. You had to like immediately go to emergency counseling. Like you had family and people, friends praying, like supporting you. But it took you a minute to like understand that you had to be in support of your husband. Yeah. I am so glad you said that because yeah, let me not sit here and act like I was such a saintly wife. (laughs) No, just because I think it's so real that that's how like any of us would probably be. A true song of songs bride. I was like, huh? I was really ready to sock him. And that conversation did not go well. And yeah, so I definitely sat here and was like, okay, babe, whatever you need. (laughs) Let me call up the case manager real quick. No, I fought it for a really, really, really long time. And Samantha's right. Like we had to go into counseling and we were counseling for a long time. And I even think friends thought like maybe Bryce will like go back. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you brought a lot of us into it. I remember we had small group later that night and you guys came sobbing. And I mean, it was very apparent you guys weren't on the same page. And he's like, she may murder me later. You know? yeah. And you were like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm considering it. I like, mean, you're like, I'm no. going to pick them over. I remember seriously telling our counselor, <laughs> I was like, if Bryce has a problem with the way this household is going, <laughs> Bryce can pack his stuff. <laughs> Bryce can leave. We're doing fine. I will do this by myself. I was really white knuckling it. And let me tell you, 
Bryce was not the person I wanted to support and back. In fact, I remember calling up just about everybody I can think of (laughs) being like, can you believe this? Can you believe what a monster Bryce is? Can you believe he's so wrong? But you know what? Every single person that I called, nobody agreed with me. Nobody. Everybody said, you're really hurt right now. How could you not be? But Bryce comes first. You have to put Bryce first. And I was like, okay, bump this. Y'all don't even do foster care. Like, you don't even know what you're freaking talking about. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to call up this woman that I know who is so wise and has done foster care for years. And I called her thinking of all the people. She's going to have my back. She's going to definitely have my back. She's going to be like, no, you go in there and you tell him you are. (laughs) Guess what? She didn't. But she did tell me, do you know that with multiple placements, this has happened? And she said that with some placements, it had been she wanted to be forever. Her husband wasn't on board. And with some, it was the opposite way. And she said something along the lines of, I'll just tell you that when I was the one saying I can't do forever to have my husband, even though he was sobbing, say, okay, if forever is not what's best for you, it's not what's best for me. It's not what's best for our family. So this really hurts me. But the answer is no, you're right. To have him have my back in it and not make me feel like I was a monster for saying no. (laughs) Because really, I was putting our family first. And it felt good to have him understand it when the shoe was on the other foot. That's so powerful in like any context in a marriage. And I got off the phone and then I just started thinking, yeah, I'm asking Bryce to make a huge decision for our family. Just like we would have never started foster care if both of us weren't 100% all in on board. Maybe some couples are like this. Do you have a big conversation before you start trying for biological kids? We were pretty impulsive about it. I mean, I would think, I think some, most people are right. people. on the same page. Like, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, on the same, right. Yeah. This is a huge thing for our family. And I wouldn't want to do this with somebody who didn't want it as bad as I did. So eventually, it really was because of that conversation. I feel like I came around. And even though there was still, it's like the anger turned to just sadness. Well, and then also I realized... That wasn't an easy decision for Bryce to make either because for two years, Kay had also been his kid. And the first time we recorded, I talked about how because we were so new in our marriage and we're shaping what our household is like and what our marriage is like. And and King came in so early that it was almost like when a tree grows around a fence post. It shaped us not only as people, but as a couple. And it was that way for Bryce, too. Bryce also said no to a little boy that he loved. So we had to tell the case manager, but we told her we don't want them to move because we knew that him and Anna were like a package deal. And that's, again, the way we really wanted it to be. So we knew we were going to say goodbye to both. But we said, please don't move them. We're not in a hurry. I want them to go to their forever home when they leave here. And a year went by. They were not in a hurry. (laughs) And it had been almost a year. Some pretty big developments in their case had happened. And so I knew that this next coming visit with the case manager, I knew that was going to be the one where she told me, we found a family. Here's your timeline. Here's how much time you have left. But she sat me down and said that the team realized that they were allegedly siblings through their father and he was not listed on either birth certificate. And I had taken them really early on and having them to their side of like a blood test and he never showed up for his. And so basically the team just said, like, we actually have no way of proving that they're siblings, so we can't move them together. And 
he came into care with other sisters through his mom, so confirmed siblings. And so the team that day chose to split Kay and Anna up and to move Kay in with an older sibling that he had who was also in foster care. And so Kay had somewhere to go, but Anna didn't. And so they asked, would we adopt Anna? And we said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so then take us through what happened in Anna's case then with you all. So at that point, they've moved Kay into a home with his other half-confirmed siblings. Yes. So, yeah, Anna stayed. And then that was in March of last year. And then things moved pretty quickly for foster care once they confirmed that we were for sure pre-adoptive. We adopted her in September. And I would like to talk a little bit about the grief that I feel like I've experienced on behalf of Anna. Adoption, and I'm really interested to hear your take on this. Foster care is only a necessity because of brokenness and Anna needing a new place to live. It would never was a happy thing. For Anna to need to permanently live The way Bryce and I see it is the fact that she was never able to go home with her birth family and she's not living with any of her family members, but she's living with a random family in Boone County. If we had to pick a life for Anna, I'm not sure that we would be what we would pick for her. We would want her to be with her mom or we would at least want her to be with her family. Do you feel like you've experienced that with your kids? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I say, I mean... Anyone in the adoption sphere says usually, I mean, if we didn't live in a broken world, adoption wouldn't exist. Infertility wouldn't exist. I would have had biological kids and I would have been parents to them. And then my kids would have been able to be raised with their biological families and they wouldn't have broken homes and situations where they would be able to live with their biological parents and thrive. But because of sin... Yes. And so we talk about that with Emerson now that she's five and understands things like, yeah, ideally you would have lived with your birth family, but like, here's why that couldn't happen. And this is like what we believe God had then intended to bring beauty out of the sinful parts of this world that we all have to deal with in our own ways. Sometimes we'll remind Emerson again in like five-year-old ways, there's hard parts of your story and there's going to be things that you have to process through and things that, yes, talking about grieving, I've had to grieve. I've had to think about her grieving in the future and what that will be like. But we all have parts of our stories that when we're walking through this world, it's broken. And so we kind of pick up all of these broken things and have to like process and figure them out. Some are a little bit more obvious on the outside of, yeah, that's not the way things are supposed to be. But no, I totally relate to that. I'm like, yeah, I ideally, again, would have biological children. And ideally, adoption wouldn't be a word that we knew. Even I feel like the way we talk about adoption, how is it that all at once, I really did feel like the day Margaret was born, my biological daughter, like, oh my gosh, our family just grew by one. And I love her more than I can articulate. I can't believe that I get to be her mom. And all at once, it's like this really, somehow it's joyful for our family. But at the same time, it feels not right to be happy about it. I remember we went to Disney right after her adoption and everybody, like all the staff members in Disney World were like, why did I tell them? Did you guys have like one yeah, of the pins? celebration or something? Maybe that's Because everyone that's has your pin. Yeah. Yes, that's what it was. You so maybe they saw pin? her pin, I'm celebrating. and But even like writing, I'm celebrating my adoption. I was like, I don't know. 
But it is. It I is. Know. Okay, wait. I have a question yeah. for you all, though. I think yeah. we've talked about. I think maybe all of us have talked. But I my question for the crowd that I'm sure they're wondering as we have this conversation, because obviously this is not a part of my story. What is your all's opinion? Or I guess if this is not what you would want someone to say, what would you prefer they would say? Or what are some options you could say? Is when someone says, "Oh, quote your child's name," they're so lucky to have oh, you all. Oh dear, or they're Lord. so lucky I to be it, in I your family. It, I hate it. I hate it. it okay, obviously me. we know yes. that those words are coming from them with good intentions yes. because they love you. And as they're saying this to the parent, they love the parent. They think the parent's awesome, and they're like, "Wow, that's awesome." That's what they're trying to communicate. Give people some options. You know what they're trying to articulate. What would you wish instead they could say that would be more encouraging and uplifting to both your story as like the adoptive parent, but then also your child as the child who had to come into adoption? Well, yeah. Also, like our kids hear that and think about when they're older, they're like, oh, I was just this little tattered thing. And then this white lady came and got me. Yeah. What? Yeah. And I feel like our children are black. I should say that too. That adds (laughs) a layer. Me and Samantha are super white. (sighs) So white. But yeah, what would you wish people said? Because I'm genuinely like curious, how do you wish people would share that excitement? I think that's like part of the problem too. You could encourage me just like you would another mom. There shouldn't really be a distinction. You could say something like, it's really been cool to watch you and Justin be obedient to what God has called you to, even though it could be hard. And it's so cool to watch this child now and how much she blesses your family or not completes your family, but fits so perfectly into your family and something like that maybe. But when you really go back to the question, I think the whole reason someone would ever even say something to be encouraging, it's different if like you're walking through fostering and someone's saying like, hey, you're doing a great job. Like, I know it's not easy. That's different than being like, you're so lucky to me. It would just be like a normal child. Like, why would you need to be saying that? It's like the same thing of, oh, well, you're so lucky you have kids. It's like, yeah, we're blessed by kids and they're hopefully blessed by us as their parents, but like we're blessed by them too. And so it's just kind of a phrase that like, I don't really think there needs to be an alternative for because like, what is your point in saying it, I guess. If you're trying to encourage, I think you're genuinely saying, hey, I've been really encouraged by the way that you're handling that situation with Emerson's birth mom or talking through that hard thing with Emerson. That could be specific. But to me, when people say that, it's just like, you think that we're some kind of saint for doing this. And like, you're definitely held up sometimes on this pedestal of like, I mean, speaking about Disney World, we'll be at Disney World or at a restaurant. I mean, recently someone like paid for our lunch at Jose Jalapeno's. Someone literally paid for our lunch and we walked up. We figured out who it was. It was like an older couple. We walked up to say thank you. We told Emerson to go tell them thank you. And they were like in front of both kids. Oh, you're so welcome. We just think it's amazing what y'all are doing. And you're just like... I like don't have words. Yeah. yeah it's just so like, so like, I guess help I would, me. I hate that Emerson... Her, here's that i mean hopefully she's like doesn't get it yet but there will be times where she will get it what's your take on that i mean do you think there's an alternative i'm literally sitting here racking my brain because that is such a good question because you make a great point that definitely the person saying it is only coming from a place of love and probably would say the same thing about my biological kids too you're Dang. so lucky. You're yeah, a I mean, rock star mom. I know Margaret I said that is... about like the bomb parties you throw at your kids. I'm like, your kids are freaking like. <laughs> yeah, that's different. Well, yeah, but yeah. I'm like, yeah, shoot, so I know it's coming they're from lucky that place. to have you as a mom. And the reason we're saying you know. it is just because today's a big day. We're celebrating her adoption. Or, but 
I wish I had something wise to say. Because I think it brings up a good point. We talked about this last time, but just bringing it up again, I think one thing I have learned in walking alongside both of you all in your stories, even just having the posture as someone that's not a part of my family's story or just how we have children, but even just being willing to ask the question. I know I've come to probably both of you actually several times I can think of them and just like reconfirming, hey, I said that. Was that offensive? Or like, should I have said that differently? Or coming in with a posture of humility. And then also on the receiving end, you guys have also said times like I've heard you say things. I mean, we're talking about some of them now, like that was hurtful, but you also choose to believe. I know they didn't mean poorly by that, but I'm going to choose to believe. And maybe if you get the opportunity, you can correct that later. And you can say, hey, just like in the future, that was hurtful. And I think it's just a good conversation to have both ways to say, let's enter this in with humility and understanding we may not get it right all the time. And so how can we be like learning from each other's experiences? Gosh, that was just such a good question. Yeah, that was a good question. <laughs> that was such a good question. Because AKA, I feel like, don't say that to people <laughs> if they've adopted. But, but it's something that we got all the time. People would say it a lot when they would see us doing something fun with the kids. Like they would hear that we'd take the kids to the zoo or a splash pad or something like, oh gosh, they're so lucky that they're getting all these experiences with you and that they get to live with you and that they're safe now and stuff like that. Well, I'm even going back to the day of, I remember Anna's adoption day. We'll talk about that some. It was an awesome day. I remember the days that your kids were officially adopted into your all's family, Samantha. And I think the sentiment of that comment is, I'm really excited for yes. you and your family in this moment. Yes. It's yeah, awesome so to watch you guys you become say. a family. Yeah. So yeah. So I think an alternative to that is because like you're saying, Samantha, like we're all blessings to each other. You could say that about a biological child as well. Yeah. I think the sentiment is I'm so excited for you and your family. Yes. You guys make such a good pair or like yeah. you guys go together so well. Yeah. But when you think about the context of when people say that, we don't have to keep digging, but like you're saying, like you're taking them to do something fun and they're referring to like, oh, they came from nothing. They would have never gotten this if you didn't come in and save the day. And so I think it's like two different directions because you were talking about asking questions with humility. I can totally feel when someone, even if it's like a more uncomfortable question, when someone's just genuinely being humble. And I feel like it's not like they're just being nosy or like we actually have a relationship. Whatever they ask, I'm really disarmed. I'm like, you can't really offend me right now because you're innocent and you're just genuinely curious. curious. Now, if it's like a random person at the store, that's different. But, you know, I'm talking about in the context of relationships. Whereas like when someone's saying that phrase that you said or like asking questions in another way, that's going to put us more on you just are nosy or not very socially aware. And It does get to the point where you're like, okay, I can try to give a lot of grace, but also as our kids get older, that affects what they hear and how they internalize themselves. The only thing that I feel like I can respond with, or like the only thing I can think that maybe I would have wanted to hear instead, or maybe the comments that really stuck with me because they felt more appropriate for how I felt that day on the adoption. I definitely had people who acknowledged all of the hurt that had to come for this big, wonderful, awesome day in a courthouse. And this is just me. Like, I feel like the people who said in one breath, I hate that it's necessary, but I'm really happy Anna has permanency now. I'm happy that y'all can breathe. And I almost felt like what they're trying to say, I think you're exactly right, is yes. But I think I like hearing acknowledgement of consistency, safety, love. Because again, what we're talking about is a brokenness in the world, brokenness in things that, like we're saying, adoption or foster care shouldn't even be a part of our vocabulary in a perfect world. 
So I think what we're looking for is encouragement of healing and of beauty from brokenness, because that's the awesomeness of the story. I think a lot about, have y'all heard that really cheesy analogy about the tapestry that like, I don't know. Yeah, you definitely heard it. No. It's like one of the first things I heard as a Christian and no, it stuck with me because it? like so cheesy, but I don't it's so know true. It. Okay. I'm weaving my fingers together like a tapestry, <laughs> you know, like so, the different weaves. Yeah. So one of my favorite things that I've ever heard is that like, if you look at a tapestry, if you look at the bottom side of a tapestry, it's just oh. like a big mess of strings and it looks like the weaver doesn't have a plan and you flip it over and you're like, oh, wow, beautiful what, picture. what a yep. beautiful picture. I wish that I could say I felt more like that in foster care. Like I wish I felt like that on the day of our adoption. Somehow I'm happy, but it's not like I looked at our adoption day as, oh, now I see Anna had to experience all this trauma and all of this loss and all of these wounds so that she could be my daughter. I didn't feel that sense of satisfaction or anything like on our adoption day with Kay's story. Maybe what I think it won't be until like heaven that I see what God's been doing in his story. That's a good point because we have to remember too, we're not always guaranteed that we do get to see the beautiful side of it on this side of earth. There are little things that we do get to see glimpses of that and that gives us hope. But yeah, I mean, there's still hurts that it's like, that's just not fair when you look at the world and you just have to say, I feel like I say this a lot. I don't see this God. I still don't see the good in that. I know that you're still good and I know that you're still working on it. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, jumping to that, you've obviously talked to this whole story a little bit about what you have learned, what you and Bryce have learned together. But talk to us a little bit about that, like talking about God's character. What would you say has stuck out the most to you in just what you have learned about God, what you have learned about yourself, what you have learned about in just like your walk with him? What's that looked like? Since starting foster care, at least myself, I've been taken down several notches. You just think that you're in control, but foster care, the chaos of it, the unknowns, like I said earlier, like you have to hold everything so loosely. You really sometimes don't know what the next month is going to look like. Will they be here? My placement right now, we were supposed to have her for a week. We have a little girl right now. We were supposed to have her for a week and then they called at the end of that week and they were like, yeah, do you think that you could do till end of June? (laughs) I'm like, I'm having a baby at the end of June. I can do middle of June. And they're like, okay, we're holding middle of June very loosely. (laughs) I don't know what the next two weeks of my life looks like. I don't know what my family will look like in July. You think that you're in control. You think that you've got it handled. And then it really is like a crash course in just saying, I have no idea where we're going with this, God, but I'm buckled up. Even the times in foster care, in all of our cases that I've thought, I've got a real voice here. (laughs) There are just lots of twists and turns that make me realize how small I really am. And then I'm just a blip. And I'm just one person in this big tangled mess. And I've got a role and it's an important role, but there's one person who's sovereign and in charge. And why don't I just take a back seat? Might be mad about it. Might be mad about where we're going. But you know, you're going to get there. Got to get there. Sometimes when I think about watching you and Bryce over the last few years or what you just talked about, it's honestly so much more comforting and like freeing to live that way. I feel like my life is constantly going into this crazy control and then like being like, nope, I want to go like completely opposite of that because I know the freedom and I know the peace I have when I'm not clinging to the control. And so sometimes 
your life, it's chaotic and it's crazy. And I remember even me being like, what are they doing? Like they're going to have a biological child. They're about to, when you're pre-adoptive for both, like they're going to adopt. What are they doing? And then it's like, no, you look at your life and you're like, you're getting to see so much of who God is. He has to constantly meet you where you are. Like it just opens the opportunities for so much more reliance on God. And that's where we find ultimate peace. And so I don't think we have to fear walking into things that we're called to. I'm not saying that everyone listening to this needs to go foster tomorrow, but like there is, like we were talking about at the beginning to kind of like wrap up. I mean, we could have gone down, I think, so many avenues talking about this, but we do have a biblical command to care for the vulnerable like we were talking about. And so you mentioned different ways. There's so many smaller things you can even do, but like you can't be just someone that wants to hear a cool podcast episode about it and think like, well, good for them. Or like, I'm glad my local church gives some money to that organization. Or I'm glad there's people that do that. It's like, where can you be involved or where can you support a family in your community that is fostering? I would like to give some very easy, specific ways that we have been really blessed by people who foster care is not going to be the way that they care for vulnerable kids. They seem small to the people who are doing them, but I remember every single person who has brought us a meal. I remember every single person who, when we got one of our three placements, when I said, hey, I need a baby bathtub, they texted back immediately and said, I'm bringing one to your house right now. I remember all the people who, even the ones who I texted, I've got friends who like after this placement moved in, her first night, she didn't sleep well at all. And I had multiple people text me the next day asking how she slept. It was such a specific question, but it's like I had mentioned the night before when she moved in, they dropped this kid out with me. I don't know her schedule. I don't know how to comfort her. I don't know her favorite things. Can you imagine like people who have a baby? I asked the case manager, how many ounces does she drink? And she was like, I don't know, three. I was like, well, she's almost six months old. So I think I don't believe that answer. So, okay, I've got to figure that out. Does she like to be rocked or bounced or, you know, whatever. And also it's a new house. She doesn't know me. And I had gone into that night saying that I'm nervous about how tonight's going to go. And multiple people texted me the next day specifically saying, how did she sleep? But my small group, I don't even know how many times I've sat cross-legged on Christian's floor sobbing or being really excited about maybe a recent development or expressing fears, expressing anger. And people just let me talk. Even though, even though small group is running 45 minutes over, they're like, Kate needs an outlet. We're just going to stay put and no one's going to check their phone <laughs> to see what time it is. Oh, yeah, um, you guys are in the same small yeah, group. So good. Is, yeah. Yeah. We're all uh, just texting our babysitters. Can you extend 30 more minutes? I am just so sorry. <laughs> this girl's a mess. I remember those nights. I also remember before we got a very first placement and we had just told our friends, Samantha and Christian, they're wonderful people. We had just told them like what ages we would take and they know we, we had never been parents. We didn't have anything. So Samantha and Christian and... It was Christian. You're being nice. I don't remember <laughs> coordinating it. <laughs> okay. So thanks to Christian and Christian only. No, so, no, no. There was like a lot of people. I can't even remember. There was yeah. like a whole group. I mean, it was just more of like yeah. a group of effort. We were like, oh my gosh, they've never been parents before. They just got a place <laughs> they don't even know what of they need. this child. And like, yeah, we don't even know what they need, really. So, like, we don't even know what to expect and this here. This was like during COVID, they organized. It's like the week of the shutdown. Yeah, it was. Yeah, when people were doing like those funny drive-by parties, they like did a drive-by baby shower for us. 
because we just didn't have anything. It was honestly kind of a dream because we just drove by and dropped yeah. your kid. 10 minutes of your Here. time later. But no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was such a small thing for you to just run to Target, buy a book, get in your car, drive to my house, and then leave, and then go get dinner with your family. But I can't tell you how hard I cried when I got inside. I called my mom. I just called everybody, showing them our kitchen table full of gifts, saying like, I can't believe people are thinking of us right now. So they had asked people to write in the books a message for like the foster kids that we get. So instead of sending them with the placements when they leave, like we keep them for all of our placements. We still have them. They're very well loved. They're rips to shreds. But also, if you don't know of a family personally who's going through foster care, who you can almost like take under your wing if there's a person like in your small group, you probably can hook up with a local organization to say like, hey, I'm free on Thursdays at this time or like my Saturdays are pretty open. You can offer to do transportation for foster children because most foster parents work full time and their kids will have doctor's appointments or behavioral appointments or parent visits or whatever. And it's really hard for them to take off work and to make all of those happen. So you can link up with a local organization and say like, hey, do you have a family who needs help with transportation? I would love to do that. Or you can sign up to do when parents and their children have supervised visits, which is a big step towards reunification. And it's something that it's just really critical that they happen every week. You would not really want a case manager to do it. That's really intimidating for a bio parent. It's like you kind of want someone who you feel like is on your team and the foster parents don't supervise it because that's not really appropriate either. So some organizations, Coyote Hill, they have a program where you can volunteer to supervise parent visits and just be a friendly face in the room where a bio parent feels like somebody here is rooting for me and they're not judging me. And so anyway, that's a little thing that you can do. There's just lots of really small ways. And even if you think that it's itty bitty, I'm telling you to the people who are like more boots on the ground, they have placements in their home. It's not small. It's not oh, small at all. And just do the thing. Don't even need to ask. I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned yes. too. Yes. If you say, you know? do you guys like need dinner this week? We're going to be like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I'm but drowning, really, we're making, no. We're really making wide stressed eyes. out at 5, <laughs> 5 p.m. every day. Oh my God. With my placement, I literally have been up since 2.45 this morning. And which is fine. Happy to do it. Maybe don't ask. Maybe just knock on the door and be like, hey, girl, I brought you a coffee. I mean, I think it's important to note and just like we can wrap up here, too. But we didn't get into this a ton. But obviously, you can tell from Kate's story, she is like very well connected. I mean, you and Bryce jumped into community when you moved here. And I don't think that's by accident or by coincidence. I think it's very much so how God designed you all to get plugged in in a way that you do have tons of people around you. And I think that's a really cool part of the story because I think just some things that have made that successful for you to care and love and support these children in your home, how other people have done that is like you surround yourself with community. You ask for help when you need it. You also just like share vulnerably where you're at. I mean, I think it's easy to hear these stories. And yeah, I mean, we all know it's not going to go perfect, but I think you're like, okay, we'll jump into foster care if it's easier. We'll jump into foster care when it makes sense for our life. And yes, there's some wisdom to making sure that makes sense for your family. But there's also been tons of times that you have guys have been on a roller coaster and we've all been there with you. There have been really highs, highs. There have been really low lows. 
and there have been like backtracking. I mean, you've said something really definitely one day and then the next day you're like, mm, we changed our mind or it changed or I mean, whatever. And so I think that's good to know that it's not easy or simple yeah. and it's and it is very chaotic and it is unpredictable. And I think that's an awesome part of it because you're still choosing to say, no, but I trust God that like he is in control and I am not. And I need that reminder often. So we really appreciate you just like sharing your story and yes. all of that. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.